We're in Exodus today, Exodus chapter 12. Fantastic. Uh, I just want to add my thanks today for going and serving. Uh, I think it's such a privilege that we as a church get to be a part of this. We get to release our pastor to serve pastors in lands we will probably never ever go and if we're honest, probably don't even want to. Uh, but yet, we get to participate in the kingdom of God. And uh, I want to thank Emma and honor Emma. She has to say goodbye to her husband for 10 days. Uh, and so look, why don't we honor Emma and thank her for the way she serves our church. <laughs> Emma hates it when I do that. But I, I want to make sure we remember that as Dave serves, um, Emma releases and honors God by serving the church and serving him and serving the kingdom by staying. Uh, and so we never want to overlook that fact either. Well, good morning. My name is Riley, uh, church planter here, looking to plant a church into Parramatta in September. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm preaching today. So we're in Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. Uh, we're doing a long series in Exodus. Uh, we believe that the Lord has led us to the book to teach us many things. And we're actually spending a long time going over this particular section of Exodus, uh, the, the, the final plague and the Exodus narrative. God, in his wisdom, has written into Scripture a long section, a section that actually has the same theme for a long period of time. And so the main point of today is very similar to the main point of last week about remembering and not forgetting. But as we come to this very memorable text, Exodus chapter 12, the death of the firstborn and and the freedom of Israel, Uh, There was a part of the text that I'd always glossed over. It's in verse 40 to 42, and it's actually really the main point of the text itself. Um, It's the unique part to the narrative that I think I have often skipped over, and perhaps you have as well. So what we're going to do today is we're going to begin by reading those verses, and then we're going to backtrack and kind of get back into the story, and so that we can feel what the Israelites were feeling on the night of the Exodus before we go forward. So would you turn to Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night, is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray and ask that this morning you would animate your word. Lord, it is alive. Would it work in our hearts? Would it work in my heart and our hearts that we would never forget how you have watched over us. Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us to not be distracted, to not be thinking about other things, but to be focused on you and what you have to say to us this morning. Glorify yourself through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled this message uh, with the famous last words of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Free at last is the message title. As he spoke to 250,000 people um, in Washington in 1963, he, he declared from the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Martin Luther King Jr. stood there looking with anticipation at the freedom that was coming to his people under subjugation in America. He was looking ahead with anticipation, and so we look ahead in this passage today to see the Israelites on the brink of freedom. But how did that freedom come about? That's why I wanted to focus on verse 40 to 42, because Moses narrates 
in that little section there that the way they got out of Egypt was because the Lord worked the night shift for them. The Lord was keeping watch over them this whole time to set them free. And so this whole section of scripture, the main point, is for them to see how the Lord kept watch over them and so that they would never, ever forget that fact. So we're going to look at it in four parts today. First point is going to be going back to the story. Then we're going to go through the narrative. But there's one main point. Brothers and sisters, we're going to see this. Remember and never forget how the Lord watches over you. Let's dive into point number one. 430 years a slave. You see, Egypt, uh, Israel has been in Egypt, as the text tells us, 430 years. 430 years of oppression, subjugation. 430 years of fear and brutalization and shame. 430 years of captivity, crying out to their God and seemingly hearing nothing. It's hard to even comprehend what that would feel like in the slightest bit. Yet, the Lord was not off doing something else and, oh, suddenly, oh yeah, I forgot about Israel. I forgot about my plan to Abraham. I I forgot. No. Exodus chapter 2 verse 23 tells this. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. You see, God had been watching the whole time. They had never escaped his notice, yet his plans never seemed to work out exactly with our plans. Yet God is fully aware and never surprised. And so God comes to Moses because now, according to his plan, it is time to act. He comes to Moses, the shamed wannabe savior, who's now an outlaw living as a shepherd in the desert of Midian. And he comes to Moses and he says... Remember, we're talking about watching. I, this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. 430 years a slave, but now to be no more. 430 years of captivity, now freedom is on their lips. Salvation is here. You can imagine as Moses heard those words, a new land flowing with milk and honey. He could hardly imagine what that would be like. And then God says in verse 10 to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We know the story so well, but I want us to get back into it so that we can feel what it would be like to be Moses and the people. See, Moses was very reluctant. He didn't want to be the leader. He tried and failed. He tried to get out of it even three more times in this section. Yet, reluctantly, he eventually goes and God gives him this message that we've heard so many times through the book. This is what he's to say to Pharaoh. The Lord... The God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness. This is Exodus chapter 3, verse 18. That we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. You see, Moses has a message, and the message to Pharaoh is, can we go just for three days to worship 
God. That's the message. And that's what he keeps on asking. And that's what he comes to Pharaoh with over 10 times. May we go and do this. Yet God warns Moses that Pharaoh will not listen. In verse 19, he says, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So, God says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go and I will give you favor. And that's where we're up to today. I'll give you favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of a neighbor for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. And this is exactly what has happened. Moses goes to Pharaoh multiple times and says, let my people go that they may serve me. And Pharaoh, as God predicted, continually, stubbornly, repeatedly says no. And so God stretches out his mighty hand. Every time Pharaoh says no, a plague comes. No. The river Nile turns to blood. No, says Pharaoh. Frogs come upon the land. No. Gnats everywhere. No. Flies. No. Livestock is dead. No, from top to toe, boils on every person in Egypt. No, hail comes and destroys the crops. No, locusts come and destroy what the hail didn't destroy. And then finally, the ninth plague, Pharaoh says, no, and the land goes to darkness. It's hard to imagine what it would have been like to actually live in this reality. God has promised he will be set free. But time and time again, Moses goes and says, let my people go and nothing's happening. The people of Israel are watching and waiting, but nothing's happening. These great mighty acts come about, but nothing happens. When will it happen? When will we be free? So why doesn't God just do it like that? Why doesn't he just make Pharaoh go, let my people go? Pharaoh goes, actually, you're right. The Lord of heavens and earth, you're my creator. I will let them go. I'm very sorry about the genocide. You can go. Um, have all the gold and silver as you like. Why doesn't it work out like that? Well, God reveals it to us because we probably wouldn't get it otherwise. In chapter 7, verse 17, it's the oft-repeated phrase, and it's actually the whole point of the book of Exodus, chapters 1 through 40. Exodus is more than a 15-chapter book. There's more than the Exodus to the Exodus. The whole point of the book is this. Chapter 7, verse 17. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Why does God take so long? Why does he do this whole scenario? That Pharaoh, that Egypt, that Israel, and indeed the whole earth will know who the Lord is. God is making himself known. And so now we come to the final plague, the final sign, the final billboard that says, this is who I am. The final time God will show to the Egyptians, this is who I am. I am in control, not Pharaoh. I have power, not Pharaoh. I am the Lord in the midst of the earth, not Pharaoh and not your gods. And it's through this plague, this significant and final devastating plague, that Israel will be set free. That God's people will eventually come to the promised land. That in the promised land, a king will rise up called David. It's through this plague that, you know, King David will eventually be told that you have a son, you will have a son, and he will reign forever. It's through this plague that one day the man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, was born. And it's through this plague that one day Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Passover lamb, will give his life. And it's through this plague that we read today, that we sit here in Sydney, Australia in 2019, over the other side of the world, and we know who the Lord is.
By this you shall know. And so we come to the final plague that we may remember and never forget. That was point one, 430 years a slave. We've got to feel it. We've got to be in the story. Now point two, the dead of the night. We come to Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. Would you read with me? At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of a captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. It's a devastating picture. It's a horrible picture. We have two nations, two people. One nation has been told and warned 10 times, multiple times. One nation, Egypt, has been subjugating a people and hating upon them for year after year after year, killing their babies, destroying their families. They've heard and seen what the Lord has done, yet it comes to the night. They've heard most likely the warning that there's going to be a final plague, and yet they go to bed. And the other nation, the nation of Israel, they've been told, as we've seen in the previous weeks, that the only way that they can escape this plague is through the blood of a spotless lamb. You see, God comes to the land of Egypt to strike down any and all who do not have the blood of the lamb. It's only the blood of the lamb that saves Israel, not because they were good, You'll see many times in Exodus and throughout the journey of Israel that they are not good. They do not deserve mercy, yet God gives them mercy. Two nations go to bed at night, watching, waiting. Could you imagine the Egyptians? They've seen, they've experienced the plagues, and you can imagine them going to bed, potentially thinking, will it actually happen? You can imagine husbands and wives taking turns to check on their firstborn son. You could imagine even the husband himself thinking, is it going to happen? I'm a firstborn. The watching, the waiting. You can imagine the Israelites after they've eaten their their lamb and, and they've painted the blood on the doorpost of their home, watching and waiting, potentially thinking, will this actually work? Is Moses right? And then at midnight, death comes to all who do not have the blood. And you can imagine the scene of one house figures it out and they begin to mourn and wail. And then the wail goes throughout all the land of Egypt, waking house by house by house. If some slept soundly at night thinking it will never happen, they would have heard the wailing and the cry. As mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters hold dead loved ones in their hands. This is a real story. It really happened. Hundreds, thousands, we don't know how many died in the night. From the greatest in Pharaoh's household to the least in the dungeon. No one is spared who doesn't have the blood. Often it's a story that we skip over or potentially trivialize or we never stop to think of just how intense it is. This week, my wife cooked an amazing lamb roast and it was probably inappropriate to do it with the kids, a bit too intense, but I sort of wanted them to get it. So we have the lamb roast there and I'm I'm saying to them, this is what the Israelites did. They ate a lamb and, and the only way they could be saved from the, the, the angel of death was to paint the lamb, and I went to a little archway and said, paint the lamb on their archway. 
Because what would happen if they didn't? And they said, you know, the firstborn son would die. And I said, who's our firstborn son? And this is where Maddie's like, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I wanted them to see, and sometimes I go too hard. But, I, you know, and so I turned to Jasper. I said, who's the firstborn son? He said, Judah. It's like, no. <laughs> no, they both thought Judah. It was, and then it dawned on Jasper. It would be me. And then we, we sort of moved on because I didn't want to freak the kid out. But that's the reality of the situation. And we see it in the safety and security. But that night, their only hope was the blood of a lamb. Who would it be in your family? Who would it be? It's hard to imagine. We don't want to imagine it. But we have to see how the only hope they had is the blood of a lamb. Well, what's Pharaoh's response? Let's read in verse 31 and 32. Then he, that is Pharaoh, summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. (laughs) You know, he's getting desperate at this point. See the great reversal that's happening in Pharaoh. The man who said, no, you shall not go, finally relents and says, get out of here. The one who in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, when Moses first came to him, said this, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, he knows the Lord. Yet he still never repents. He still never asks for forgiveness. But now he's so broken, he has to obey. The one who gave many conditions. Oh, you can go, just don't go very far. Oh, you can go, just uh, leave your livestock behind. Don't everyone go. Now, it's unconditional surrender. Go and never come back. Remember, the Israelites were only asking for a three-day journey. Now they have been given permission by the king to leave and never come back with everything. And the one full of arrogance now is desperate for a blessing. You see how the Lord can turn and make all things happen according to his will and his plan. We see in the dead of the night how the Lord is watching over Israel. He keeps watch. He protects them. He turns Pharaoh's heart and fulfills what he promised. And what did Israel do? What great achievement did they enact to save themselves? Nothing. Had faith and trusted in the word of the Lord. The plague of death touched the greatest to the least. God doesn't relent because you are very special with your wealth and your titles. And God doesn't relent just because you've had a really hard life. The plague touched the greatest in the land of Egypt to the least. The only way of salvation was the blood of a lamb. It's by faith. And by faith alone. The angel of death came looking for the blood. And he went throughout all of the land to every single door. It's the same for us. God saves by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ alone. Have you painted, so to speak, the door of your life, the door of your soul with the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ? 
Because one day the Lord will come looking for faith. As in Luke 18, the, the Lord will come looking for faith. He will come looking to see, have you trusted in my son? Have you personally painted your soul with the blood of the lamb and made that your only trust? Has your beloved ones, have your kids, have your friends, has your family. It's the only way of salvation. Do you have faith in him? And if you don't, if you're not sure, do it and do it today. Do not be like Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They waited. Will the Lord really judge? Will the Lord really do what he said he would do? Show me another sign. God, prove you're real. Do not wait, my friends. Do it and do it today. For there is only safety in the blood of the Lamb. In the dead of the night, God watched over Israel and saved them by the blood of the Lamb. In the dead of the night, God humbled Pharaoh and brought his plan to fruition. In the dead of the night, the Israelites did nothing. No great act, no great military uprising. They sat, they watched, and they waited by faith because God watched over them. Brothers and sisters, remember and never forget how the Lord watches over you. He's watched over your salvation. Never forget that. Point number three, free at last. Verses 33 to 39. So it's not just Pharaoh who, you know, relents. It's the whole nation of Israel as we're going to see And we're right now, we're on the brink of the exodus. It's finally happening. We've been waiting so long. It's about to happen. Verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. I like the King James Version on this one. that says, we all be dead men. Very pirate. But you get the idea that they are so afraid. They get it now. They finally see this is who the Lord is and he's dangerous. Get out. That word urgent there is the same word that um, has been used to describe Pharaoh as being hard of heart. The Pharaoh was hard of heart so he would not let the people of Israel go. Now the people of Egypt are hard of heart to make them go. I like how Ligon Duncan says it. He says, A nation of slaves begged by its oppressors to go free. Isn't that amazing what God can do? See how he watches over Israel. Verse 34. They're not ready for this. They don't really, like Israel hasn't been preparing for for months and months and months waiting. They potentially didn't even think it was going to happen. Verse 34. So the people took their dough before it was leavened their kneading bowls being bound up in their crooks and on their shoulders. And verse 35, they had done one thing. This is what they'd done. The people of Israel had done as Moses told them. For they'd asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. Can you imagine this night when when they realized that Egypt is dying and we're all safe. And they go around, either they did it before, they do it then, knocking on the door of their captors, of their oppressors, of the ones who have murdered their children, beaten their husbands and ruined their lives. Hello, um, gold, silver and clothing, please. Uh, It's a a crazy, crazy sight. The, The Lord is watching over Israel. In fact, it's emphatic in the original Hebrew that it's the Lord who gives them favor. It's not the Israelites. It's the Lord watching over them to make this happen. Could you imagine them putting on gold and silver, maybe for the first time, 
putting on their sons and daughters cloaks of beautiful garments from their oppressors and walking out with their kneading bowls on their arm, kind of going, what just happened? You know, what do we do now? God is watching over them. Verse 37, and here they finally leave. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, and about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Could you imagine the sight? We don't know exactly where this is. It's northeast Egypt somewhere. Um, but 600,000 men on the military-aged men most likely, and the women and children, all blinged up, wearing the best clothes, with a kneading bowl on their arm, walking down the M1, going, I think we go this way. I mean, they knew where to go because we're going to find later God turns up in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. But nonetheless, it's a startling scene. Nonetheless, we see how the Lord is watching over them. It's the first time they've journeyed. It's the first time in 430 years they've been free. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. They're not like us. They haven't been planning out their world tours. I think I'll go to Greece and then the Amalfi Coast and, you know, I'm going to drop into this. No, they're not like that. They've never been anywhere. They don't know where to go. Yet the Lord has been watching over them and they're finally on the move. But it's not just the Israelites. I love verse 38. We see the expansive heart of God. Verse 38, a mixed multitude quite potentially, literally, riffraff, went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. You see, people around, anyone who trusted in the blood, anyone who wanted to join in with Israel was welcome to come on the journey. God wasn't anti-Egyptian, He's anti-sin, and anyone who repents of their sin and comes to him can join in, no matter who they are or what they've done. And so we see this mixed multitude, potentially even some Egyptians with them, going for the journey, trusting that this God who's made himself known is worth following. And you see there they go out with very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Three times God has killed and destroyed the livestock of the Egyptians. And here's the Israelites with droves of cattle and whatever else they've got, just going out with huge numbers of animals. It's a sight to see. The slaves go free, begged by their oppressors. In verse 39, again to emphasize how sudden it was. They baked unleavened cakes of dough that they'd brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. It was a rush. They didn't have time to prepare. They had to step out in faith. And that's potentially why the language is that God thrust them, literally kicked them out of the land of Egypt. Because Knowing the Israelites and knowing your own soul and my own soul, they might have stayed. They might have gone, well, we got the bling, we got the clothes, we're kind of strong in Egypt's sight now. Now maybe we can be the rule. No, they're thrust out, they got to go, they're kicked out, and they're on their way. Can you imagine the sight? Free at last. Only because God has been watching over them. They can taste the freedom. They can dare to dream, yet they are free, but not merely free. You see, God's plan for the Israelites is never just freedom itself, mere freedom. Freedom to do whatever you want. Go Israel, go explore the world, enjoy, use the gold and silver however you like. No, the plan all along is that they would be set free from Pharaoh in Egypt so that they would be free to serve their God. 
They are freed to serve. Yet for the first time in 400 years, they now have the test of prosperity. You see, this slaved people had never had anything to their own bank account or money. Now they're cashed up and blinged up, and they're given an opportunity. You see, why did God plunder the Egyptians? Well, they need a provision, yes. But ultimately, we're going to see in Exodus chapter 25, the reason why they got gold and silver and clothes was so that they could furnish the tabernacle and bring the presence of God into their midst. Their freedom and their prosperity was an opportunity for them to worship. That's true freedom. True freedom is not doing whatever you want. True freedom is being able to serve the Lord with everything you got. Because he's the source of everything good. If they have the presence of God in their midst through the building of the tabernacle, they've got everything. Yet in Exodus chapter 32, you may know what the Israelites do. Moses delays on the mountain. And so they say to Aaron, where is this man, Moses? He's taking so long. Build us an idol. So they take their rings off. They take their gold off. And they make a golden calf. And Aaron says to them, he says, these are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. What? How did that happen? You see, the people of Israel were free to serve. They were prospered in their going, yet it was an opportunity and a test, a test of prosperity. And they failed miserably. They used their freedom as a cover-up for evil. They use their prosperity for themselves alone. And that is the same temptation that we face today. You see, in Christ, we are set gloriously free from our sin. We are set free from bondage to sin and Satan and death. We have freedom. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free And then verse 14, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Romans chapter 6 says it again. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient to the standard of teaching. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. We have the same story. You and I, we're set free to serve. We're set free and we're blessed materially. And we have the opportunity. We actually have the test of prosperity ourselves. We're blinged up. We're cashed up. How are we going to use it materially for the Lord? How are we going to use and invest our finances? But we're also spiritually prosperous. We're righteous in Christ. We're given every spiritual blessing, are we not? Yet sometimes we can take that for granted and even abuse it. God will forgive me. I'm just going to keep doing it. I know, I'm saved, I'll be fine. Our freedom is an opportunity and a test. We're called by the Lord to be his slaves. We're free, yes, gloriously free in Christ. Freed to serve. How are you, my brothers and sisters, using your freedom? How are you putting his grace to work in your life? Would you describe yourself as a slave to righteousness, a slave of God, a joyful, humble, gracious slave? That is our opportunity. Because the Lord has watched over us and set us free. Never, ever forget how the Lord has watched over you. So God, we've seen, has watched over Israel. They are free at last. They've been set free by the blood. And so now we come to where we began in verse 40 to 42. This is point number three, keeping watch. Verse 40, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 400 
and 30 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. That number, 430, elsewhere in Genesis it talks about 400 years. Probably that's a rounded number. 430 is probably the exact date. And on that day doesn't mean like literally on that day, 430 years ago when they got to Egypt, they left. It means on that very day of the Passover, all the hosts, that's a military term, the Israelite slaves are now being called an army. They haven't even drawn a sword this whole time. They've done nothing. They've painted some blood and watched and waited, and they're going out totally victorious. No war, no bloodshed, no pillaging, no fighting. Yet they're described as the host of the Lord, the army of the Lord. They went out. They're finally free. So how did it all happen? Verse 42. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. He took the night shift. And indeed, he's always been watching them. He's always been present, overseeing their journey. He watched and waited and let the destroyer pass over their house. He watched and waited and turned the heart of Pharaoh to yield and send them out. He watched and waited and made sure that the Egyptians gave them the plunder so that when they're free, they're free to serve with all of their riches. He watched and he waited for them. And he is watching and waiting over us too. He's just as present and active and vigil over your life and mine. He cares about every facet and every part of your journey. He is watching over you. Think of all the grace in your life. Namely, saving grace that comes through the blood of the Lamb. He watched over that. He planned it. You were planned from all eternity past to be saved. But not only is there saving grace, there's material grace. All the clothes and everything you have, all the riches, every dollar in your bank account, that is evidence of him watching over you. Think of the relational grace in your life, the friends, the family, the loved ones. That's his grace too. He's watching over you, hemming you in blessing you when you do not deserve. The Lord takes the night shift for us. He has done in our past. He's doing it in our present, and he'll do it in the future. But how? How can he watch over you? Are you worthy of the Lord watching over you? Am I worthy? Does he look down and go, well, he is six foot four. I guess that's pretty good. You know, I might make his life go well. No. Just like the, Egypt, uh, the Egyptians and the Israelites, neither of us are worthy of him watching over us. We deserve the condemnation of God. We're sinners. We've rejected him. We've turned our own way. We don't love him. We love ourselves most of the time. And he's an afterthought. Yet, he can watch over you because he stopped watching over Jesus. How can the Lord watch over you? Because 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, the true Israel, the true temple, the true perfect one, the true leader, the true Passover lamb. He sent his son and his son came and he ascended a hill called Calvary. And on that hill, he was nailed to a cross, naked, shameful, rejected, abandoned, hated. And on that cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, on the cross, the Lord turned his face away from Jesus. 
and poured his wrath out upon Jesus, just like he did on the Egyptians. He stopped watching over Jesus so he could watch over you. He stopped watching over his beloved firstborn son so that you and I could be spared. Isn't that incredible? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I can say, the Lord watches over me. That's why. That's how. That is amazing grace. So what ought to be our response? The rest of verse 42. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generation. Here's the point. Israel is to remember and never forget how the Lord watched over them. That's why they have the feast. That's why I have all this time, all this narrative is here so that they would remember and never forget how they've been set free, gloriously set free. And it's the same for us. We too are to remember and never, ever, 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 ever forget how the Lord watches over us. It's the whole point of the passage. It's why we are here this morning. The Lord wants to remind us again and again. Because we're so prone to forget. How many times this week were you aware of how the Lord was watching over you? I mean, we do, hopefully at times, we go to group, we come to church on Sunday, maybe youth on a Friday. But there's so many times when we get so stuck into whatever's happening at home with, with the kids and the messiness and the ordeals and the family and relational conflict, at work with the temptation and, you know, the politics and all that goes on there, with our friendships or the lack thereof, our relationships or the lack thereof. So many things happen and we forget. Or we even think he's not there. He is. And the Lord is pricking your ear up today and saying, remember me. Build into your life a habit of remembrance. That's why church is so important. That's why we come every week and we do not give up the habit of meeting together because we have to look at each other again and say, he did it. He really did do it. Remember, never forget. That's why we're here. And then day by day, we have the glorious opportunity. We are free to serve him and free to remember. How do we do that? I think the simplest way and the most beneficial way that I've experienced in my own life is to spend 30 seconds preaching the gospel to myself again. I literally stop. Don't do this every day, but I highly recommend doing it so that I will remember and never forget. What does that look like? Riley, soul, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You hated God. You refused him. Yet he sent his son to die in your place for your sins. He shed his blood for you. He turned his face away from the son so that, Riley, you would be set free. All your sins are paid for. Everything. And he rose again that you may have new life. Walk in that freedom, Riley. Amen. And I go do something. You know, like I go buy a coffee, whatever. But I I try and remember all the time. And I highly encourage you. I think it's the point of this passage. Remember and never forget. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remember the good, good story. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, Hebrews chapter 3 says, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We are so prone to forgetting. We're so prone to living like we're slaves, living like we're Israel and Egypt, broken, beaten down, no hope. That's not the case. Brothers and sisters, we are free, free at last to serve him. In the dead of the night, after 430 years of slavery, God watched over Israel and set them free. It's the same for us. In the dead of the night, in the dead of our soul, he watched over us and set us free from our bondage to sin so that we would be free, free at last, to serve and honour him. So I'm in Grace Church, Sydney, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember and never forget how the Lord has and is and will always, always watch over you because he loves you. What a scandal. What a scandal. Would you join me in prayer and then we'll rise to sing how deep the Father's love. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, Would you speak to our soul even now? As we've heard these truths many, many times, heard this story many, many times, make it afresh. Change our habits. Change our practices so that we would remember and never forget. That we would live like we are free and free at last to serve you. Do a miracle in our hearts this morning, Lord. Change them to be amazed by grace. Help us to keep the main thing, the main thing, and then be utterly amazed by it. And Lord, I plead with you, if there are any here, and I'm sure there are some, who have not yet painted the blood of Christ over the door of their life, please, Lord, soften their hearts now that they may put their faith in you please Lord do not let them wait do not let them tarry do not let them leave here unprotected how deep your love is for us give us a song to sing in Jesus name Amen